Harrison Price for Thursday, October 19th, 2023. We're coming to you from the GoGoat Sports Studio, built by Arbor League here at the Iconic Wall Center. And if you're coming to a game downtown, say this weekend, there's a football game, soccer match, make it a staycation. Embrace the energy here, downtown Vancouver. Call the hotel, 604-331-1000. Matt Sikaris alongside Blake Price, Greg Sass, hitting switches, conducting things. This show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group celebrating 25 years. We're at Infinity in the Richmond Auto Mall. You can lease the 23QX50 from 3.49%, the 23QX60 from 2.99%, and then at the Nissan dealerships, this is Applewood Nissan Richmond, Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey. The 23 Rogue Finance, 3.99%. You lease or finance the 23 or 24 Leaf from 6.99% because, Blake Price. It's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question today. Will Tyler Myers be a healthy scratch this season? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Bodog, line of the day for me. Stampeders are fighting for their playoff lives tomorrow at BC Place, and you're getting eight and a half points. I'm going to take the points on your Bodog line of the day. Well, Tyler Myers once again in the crosshairs of Canucks fans after his performance Tuesday in Philadelphia. You do wonder at what point whether Rick Tockett and or Adam Foote have to make a move there. And as we talked about for much of the summer and into training camp, if you just move one of those left shot guys to the right side, whether it's Carson Soucy, who's now back in the lineup, or Ian Cole, you could appropriately slot Tyler Myers on your third defense pairing, reduce the minutes and the difficulty of matchups on him. But right now, because you like Hughes with Ronick, because you're hesitant to play Susie or Cole on their offside, you got Myers in the top four, and it's hurting you. I voted no on the poll because I just can't see it right now. There's just not a lot of better options. But if we get down the road here and Ethan Bear is healthy and re-signs with the Vancouver Canucks, or if one of those young defensemen in Abbotsford, whether that's Cole McWard or somebody else, pushes and gets themselves to the NHL, somebody you have to make room for, then I could see a Tyler Myers healthy scratching. But until then, Blake, I I still don't see this coaching staff doing it. Yeah, it, it's not imminent. Um, that's for sure. They just cannot afford to. I think every single game they've got to trot him out and hope that he's going to be better than the previous. Um, but I... I I, I do think it is possible. I mean, I, I, McWard and and Johansson would be the two, and Johansson looked like he had a long way to go in training camp. McWard was a little closer. I, I know Irwin can play the right side, but I just don't see that being a a move they would make out of preference. Um, you know, injury. Sure, I could see Matt Irwin being called up and playing the right side here. So, you know, barring something like that. I mean, you got Friedman now, and it's a game time decision tonight. But but he's just more of the same. Again, he's a twenty seven year old, and and you know Christian Wilana should be an example. Like, why are these guys who look so good in the AHL not in the NHL? Chances are they're not National Hockey League players. And Friedman 
hasn't been able to establish himself as a full-time NHL player. And, of course, the other thing you do when you healthy scratch a guy like Tyler Myers, you call into question some trade value there, right? That's right. You're flagging. You signal to other teams that we don't have use for this guy. Adjust your offers downward accordingly. And I do think Tyler Myers is going to be traded this year. And and I'm of half minds to believe he's going to be traded this year regardless of where the Vancouver Canucks are in the playoff race. They've been trying to move him in the past. And as we know, you know, big right shot defenseman. There are markets for that profile of player at the trade deadline as contenders load up. So I, I, I think this is going to be his last year in Vancouver. I'm not entirely sure he completes the year in Vancouver. I just have trouble seeing a healthy scratch in the near term. We thought maybe he would be traded as soon as that bonus was paid off. There was all that talk and chatter about San Jose, and look what San Jose's doing right now. They've put Kevin LeBanc, who was part of the rumored return in a, in a Tyler Myers trade. Well, Frank Saravelli told us it was LeBanc for Myers. That's yeah. what San Jose wanted And to LeBanc do. is on waivers today from mm-hmm. the San Jose Sharks. I would guess they try to bury him in the minors and save at least 1.15 on his 4.725. Um, but that's just, you Let know. Let me ask you this. Yeah. LeBanc for Garland. Who says no? Um... San Jose doesn't want to take on the term of Garland? Probably, but he's a more he's a better serviceable player. player, obviously. He would um, be in your lineup. You wouldn't be healthy scratching him. No. And for the Canucks, the question would be, okay, it, it certainly reduces the longevity, and that part is great. Get, reducing the term down to just the one year for LeBanc is fabulous. Yeah, it's a marginal cap savings this year. I think they're looking to reap more. Yeah, but, yeah but it gets you off the hook going forward, which would be the benefit of that one. Now, if he clears waivers and gets down to the minors, maybe a trade like that makes a lot more sense because then the Canucks don't have to send him down to the minors. Right. It's already there. Mm-hmm. Not that they would be crushed losing him on waivers, but... No. Um, yeah, we'll see. I don't know that it necessarily precipitates anything, the San Jose move. Mm-hmm. Um, they just probably don't have any need for the player right now, mm-hmm. so... As for Garland, Garland and the uh, trade activity around him, which is actually pretty robust, I, I did not think we would be hearing as much about a Garland and his trade requests and suitors and possibilities as we have here. But I think the price has the gone down, right? So. Oh, you're going to willing to take on some salary. You're willing right. to retain. Oh, no, we know no. the Canucks are willing to retain about one point five. Yeah. Elliot Friedman reporting that the Nashville interest, to the degree there was Nashville interest, may well have cooled because our old friend Luke Shen is hurt there. Yeah. And so now Dante Fabro, the Vancouver kid who has been a healthy scratch for Nashville, one of the rumored pieces that might come back to Vancouver, and clearly the right shot defense need is there and I think is still there even after Friedman. But Fabro now has to play for Nashville in place of Luke Shin. Rick Dollywall reports that there was a club asking the Canucks to take to retain one point nine million on Garland, and that was a deal breaker. David Pinota of the fourth period reporting that the Washington Capitals were involved to some degree. There are some players with the Washington Capitals who are out of favor. Anthony Mantha was a healthy scratch. 
making $5.7 million in the final year of his deal. Sonny Milano with a $1.9 million cap hit for this year and two more, a contract that Washington may want to get off. And then uh, an interesting development in Columbus where Damon Severson, whom the Jackets acquired this past offseason, was benched for a third period. Now, Severson's making six and a quarter all the way through 2030-31. So that's an enormous contract to take on. And, of course, does not reap you any cost savings with Connor Garland. In fact, the Canucks do not have the cap space to make that contract work right now. They would need to... There would need to be other pieces involved there. It's the first but year of an eight-year deal. Yeah, I mean. I, I, but we uh, we know that Severson has been of interest to the Canucks in the past as they try and solve right shot defense. Remember, they traded for his rights, signed to an eight-year deal. I don't think they're ready. To no, no, I don't think on. so. I, I think that's. But Columbus does have right shot defense depth, and they have talked about moving a right shot defenseman there. Again, probably not going to be Severson. And then Chicago has been mentioned as well with Connor Garland. And our Frank Corrado yesterday gave us a pretty good endorsement of right shot defenseman Connor Murphy there. Now, Murphy is one of the few Blackhawks player who's players under contract beyond this season. If you go to Chicago's team page, virtually everybody is on an expiring deal. They have four forwards. Signed beyond this year. They but, have four defensemen signed beyond. The, they have five forwards signed beyond this year. Now, Murphy's on a $4.4 million ticket. He'll be two th- more years after this one. He'll He's, be 31 before the end of the season. Yeah. Like, do they want a guy who's going to be playing as a 33-year-old? So th- that is one of the questions, and Taylor Hall did an interview with Frank Saravelli where he full-on noted, hey, look, we don't have cup aspirations this year. I'm hoping to be here when we do have. Mm-hmm. Cup aspirations. You know, the question for Chicago will be, yeah, do do you want to move this player right now while he's still got value relative to age? Or do you need to keep around some halfway decent players to make sure that Connor Bedard doesn't get his head kicked in and sit there and learn how to lose for the better part of three years? Like at some point, Chicago is going to have to flip the switch and try and be competitive. And there's a lot of people pointing to next offseason and how much cap space the Blackhawks have, plus the allure of Connor Bedard. And you'll remember that one summer, Blake, where the Oilers went out and were involved in just about every free agent winger, and each and every one of them was promised to play with Connor Bedard, or McDavid, to hear the uh, the narrative back then. I mean, I could see a Tyler Myers trade to Chicago, something could like you? that. You know, th- that way they don't get a demonstrably worse team. They still have... Mm-hmm. You know, right shot defenseman that comes back. And then they paddle Myers at the deadline. Yeah. But I think you're paying a pretty good premium if you're trying to acquire Connor Murphy. He's still a yeah, pretty serviceable a use, player. We're in a letter. A yeah. useful NHL defenseman. Yeah. And he has a modified no trade, so who knows if it's even possible at this mm-hmm. point. Ten team no trade. Odds for the game tonight in Tampa. Thatcher Demko to start. Elias Pettersson will play. Missed practice yesterday, a little banged up, took that Tyler Miner shot in the game Tuesday. Mark Friedman going to be a game-time decision. As we talked about yesterday and got some terrific insight from Frank Corrado and Chris Faber, uh, this guy's a piece of business. He's yappy on the ice. He fully admitted yesterday to Canucks reporters that 
you know, part of his game is to get under the skin and get other teams and other players upset with him. Quote, I love pissing people off on the other team. That's one of my strengths. He mentioned how it was really emotional being traded from Pittsburgh. He talked about how he had tears flowing. Sounds like an emotional guy here, Friedman. Uh, he talked about how he plays on the line, that he brings teammates into the fight. Draws penalties. Draws, he's, as we've mentioned, in a small sample size, he is an extraordinary drawer of penalties. We'll see if that can maintain on a larger NHL workload. And he likes to think that his skating can help on the breakouts and create that quick transition game. Asked about his ability to draw penalties, his response, I played soccer growing up. (laughs) (laughs) He does take penalties too, though. Yeah, uh, there is that. So he giveth, he taketh away. Yeah. We'll see if he can uh, Mm -hmm. maintain his place in Canucks fans' hearts if he spends a lot of time going to the box as well. Now, the other story that's circling at the league level, the league has notified the team, the teams, they want opinion on decentralization of the NHL draft. And I think when the NHL puts out a memo, we'd like your opinion on this. I think it's to be read. Gary would like to change the draft. Please tell us why it's a great idea. Yeah, or tell us only if you're willing to commit really terrible things because you don't like this idea. Like, you have to hate it. Right. The commissioner will be accepting plaudits on his genius for changing the draft. Please fall in line. He would like to be Roger Goodell, I think, at the draft. Handing over the jersey to every single first round pick. There's a small chance that this would be the case for the draft in 2024, but they're looking more towards 2025. The idea would be to make it more like the NFL and NBA drafts in its form, in that teams conduct the draft from their own markets, in their headquarters. They have a couple card runners at a table, actually at the physical location of the draft, but the picks are made from the HQ, presumably with Gary Bettman announcing them, none of those huge draft parties that have to walk up to the stage and then announce the pick on their own. Everybody making speeches. It's uh, tedious. Shouting out the watch party. Yeah. Everyone has the greatest fans in the league. The Stanley Cup champion gets congratulated 26 times. The host city gets thanked 21 (laughs) times. Sometimes there's even more editorial comments, either because of something happening in their org own organization or with an individual that has league-wide appeal. Sometimes players are forgotten their names, like Carey Price forgetting David Reinbacher. Right, exactly. So, frankly, I'm not for this for several reasons. Number one, the object is to stand out, not to blend in. Part of the reason the NBA and NFL draft work as they do, people know the players. College football, college basketball, very well watched in the U.S., Junior hockey not as, I mean, junior hockey just isn't a national television entity in Canada like college football and college basketball are in the U.S. So I like the fact the NHL draft is different. I think we get amusement out of the stage parties that go up there. We've seen guys forget players' names in the past. George McPhee once upon a time, Bobby Clark once upon a time. 
I, I wish it was a little more formulaic that, you know, they all announce the player's name, position, team, like you do get in the other drafts. But most importantly, Blake, I love watching the draft floor. 32 tables. And if you've taken in a couple of drafts, you you get a sense of when there's activity. You'll be able to read the table and find out whether they're involved in any kind of trade. Sometimes you get a couple of general managers who get up and walk and find a little quiet spot on the floor and chit-chat. I think that's sort of suspenseful, intriguing television. But you're a diehard. Matt, I am a diehard. You're a diehard. Yeah, I'm not trying to get your eyes. I know. I will be there. It will be a better TV show if it is a shorter TV show. It will be more consumable for the general audience if it's quicker. And um, I I think you could have your cake and eat it too. Still have the war room on the floor there, but not the constant parading to the to the stage. And so you still have the the mixing and mingling. Although I don't know if that'll uh, achieve the intended goal because I don't think the shorter TV show is the only reason. I don't think they want to go. I don't think I don't I don't think that they want to send thirty staff members to the draft anymore. You think it's a cost thing? I think it could be cost and hassle and man hours and all that sort of stuff. And then you got to get all those picks back to your development camp, which is usually like a di- couple days after, right? Well, so. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, there is cost adding up here. Another thing, too, is all these old school GMs, they have all these cameras on them. You know, Elliot Friedman's on the floor. Oh, I see Lou Lamorello yeah, and Patrick like Alvin talking. They, they like secrecy. They don't. Well, yeah. well, okay, to me, this is a canard. I saw Frank Saravelli tweet about this. We'll talk to Frank tomorrow. That Jeff Greenberg, who came from the baseball world to the Chicago Blackhawks and is actually now back in the baseball world with the Detroit Tigers, that he said it was quite a rude awakening for him because, oh, my God, the tables are so close. And if uh, you know we start talking about a trade, like some of the tables beside us can hear. So first of all, text messages work as a form of communication, silent communication. GMs are able to stand up, walk off in the corner, have their private conversation. Okay. Maybe if you see two GMs from two clubs getting together, you oh, I know what that's about. Slack channel. <sighs> There's a lot of, lot, of, lot of technology that can be used to avoid that problem. Uh, frankly, that one year that Brian Burke was mic'd up at the draft was brilliant television. Yeah. He goes up to Brian Murray of Ottawa. Who's your guy there? Oh, well, we like that Codrick kid. No, can't make the deal. That's our guy too. Remember that? Yeah. So I, I kind of like the theater of the GMs and the teams on the floor and conducting business. And I, I frankly don't think it's a big ass that one day a year in the NHL calendar, you give the public a little more transparency and access into what's happening in the NHL marketplace. I, I'd, I'd love for them to just be a little bit more, and I know TV likes the space in between the first round picks to de- to debrief and get interviews well, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. You need it going a little quicker, do you? And and just the the time expires all the time, and to no it, effect. It's not a hard clock. It's not a hard clock. Uh, unlike the NFL, where it is a hard clock, and if you go past your ten minutes, the team behind you can submit their draft card and jump you. Yeah, in the queue. Like, but it's so NHL that it's a it's a guideline. You know, it, it, oh, I know, but it's their turn. I know they've been ten minutes, but it's their turn. We're gonna wait for for them. 
it's the whole the whole problem I have with the NHL draft is it looks so NHL. It looks so small league. So much of what this league does looks small league, and to me, it looks small league versus what the other. Uh, I don't necessarily. Do. I don't disagree that it's not as slick, but again, to me, it's distinctive, mm-hmm. and, and I. And I would prefer they do it their own way than simply fall in line with the other drafts. I like the catwalk this year. I did like that. The the glowing catwalk as the players got drafted and they walk yeah. along well, the catwalk. And, that was and, good. and the other thing is, I mean, they're talking about potentially having this at that new Las Vegas sphere. Like, that's going to look like an awfully lonely stage if it's Gary Bettman and a skinny 18-year-old, and that's that up there. I don't think that place works because I think you need you need the flat like that's an auditorium. I don't think you want an auditorium. I think you want the flat floor and you want the ability to see everything that's happening. Right? I don't think, I don't think it works. BC Lions home tomorrow versus the Calgary Stampeders. Final regular season game of the season for BC. No, will host a playoff game. Just don't know if it'll be the West Semi on November fourth or the West Final. On November 11th. Job number one is to beat the Stampeders tomorrow and at least stay alive with Winnipeg having two games left on the season. Bombers tomorrow, home to Edmonton, then in Calgary in week 21, which is a bye for the British Columbia Lions. So if they host the last final, and look, small chance of that, like that'd be an awful long layoff. Have two dark weekends. Game's three weeks away. Yeah, that would be something. So. Schedule a friendly. <laughs> <laughs> Lions making one change on special teams. Calgary making four changes. Reggie Bagleton, fine wide receiver, comes back in the lineup for them. Starting defensive end as well added for the Stamps. Stamps are desperate. You know these guys might only be at eighty percent, but they're going to throw everything they can at this one. Obviously. Well, they're they're desperate, but they control their own destiny as well. If they get two wins, they finish third in the West, and they will come either here to BC or to Winnipeg. But here they are looking at the top team or one of the top teams in the division. And well, so, they play them both here in back to back weeks. Yeah, so they've got they've got to play. These are playoff games for them. Oh, the, for sure, they're going to be exhausted. Uh Lions going for the sweep of the Stamps for the first time since 2005. You know, and, and it was absolutely a narrative there. Wally Bono came to BC, pretty much owned his former team in Calgary, and then along came John Huffnagel, Buono protege. And the next thing you know, the Stampeders were owning this rivalry. Beat them in week one, 25-15. Of course, the big... Uh, LL Cool J concert here at yeah. BC Place. Beat them in week 10, 37-9. That game was not close. Lions got up early, and that was that. Vernon Adams is 357 passing yards away from 5,000. He would be the first Lions quarterback to hit that mark since Jonathan Jennings seven years ago. We also talked yesterday that this is Vernon Adams' last chance to put his exclamation mark on his MOP candidacy. With, again, Zach Caleros and Brady Oliveira in Winnipeg having two more opportunities to influence voters. Mathieu Betts is one sack away from breaking the record of a Canadian player tied right now with former line great and Hall of Famer Brent Johnson, 17 sacks. You have to think they go all out to get Betts the record here. And Vernon's Ben Halatic of UBC. If he makes five tackles from his middle linebacker spot, which is very attainable, 
he would be the first Canadian defensive player in Lions history to hit 100 tackles on the year. He's been exceptional for them on what's been a very good defense. Canadian content uh, on the Lions has been exceptional all year long. And that's one of the keys to winning in the CFL. Your Canadians have to be able to play. So Particularly get, on D. I mean, you look at what oh, they what they trot out on D. Um, it's pretty amazing. Because Betts is a league all-star level player. Halatic is fantastic in the middle. The combo is... Uh, Bo can hit. Bo's turned into an excellent outside linebacker in this league. And when David Menard comes in situationally on the defensive line, as we've always known about Menard, great effort. Guy gets absolutely everything out of his ability. And is a terrific special teams. You win with guys like that Mm -hmm. in the Canadian Football League. And so time now to announce our winner of the BC Lions contest. Congratulations to Thomas Douglas of Langley. Thomas, you got a pair of tickets to the game tomorrow. You got a food and bev voucher and you got a gift card to the team store to roar like never before. And they are encouraging you tomorrow. This is their Halloween game, their blackout game as they're calling it. So if you want to get dressed up in a costume and add to the visuals tomorrow night. Why not? Because somebody's working the sidelines. And he wants some good stories to tell in and around BC Place. Are you going to be wearing a costume tomorrow? I'm not. Was not my Who's plan. doing the play-by-play? Farhan Laundry. Who's doing the color? Uh, Dwayne Ford. Are Farhan or Dwayne going to be? Uh, I haven't been told. I don't. I, I haven't been told. I don't think so. Mm. Yeah. Disappointed? Well, I mean. I've got an orange tie. I don't love it. And that would seem like favoritism. Yeah, always better to wear neutral colors yeah. when you're covering a game. Yeah. I was thinking pumpkin orange, but it'll be construed as lime as orange. As orange, yeah. yep. Yeah, don't want to do that. Mm. Dickinson might get pissed off. Yeah, totally. You. Suspicious. Yeah. How was Dave this week? Good. Yeah? He's a... Uh, Former Lions quarterback. I don't know. I felt like he was a, a little bit low energy to yeah. me. Um, it's been a tough season tough for Dave. Season. Like, I he, mean, he, he has did. not been through many seasons like this in his illustrious career as both a player and coach. I mean, they've done a lot of winning there. He felt a little worn out to me. Yeah. He's looked worn out this year. When yeah. I've seen him on the sidelines, I'm like, frankly, him and his brother in Saskatchewan. Yeah. I both sort of looked like, whew. Those are plug-and-play organizations normally, no, well, they have not played. Well, and there's pressure in both <laughs> markets. Yeah. One, because of the biggest deal in the province, and two, because all they've done in Calgary for two decades here now is win. Uh, incidentally, difficult news, but a good break for the BC Lions. Winnipeg Blue Bombers receiver Dalton Schoen done for the season with injury his 1222 yards third in the canadian football league so we'll see if winnipeg can overcome that injury one more bombers win they host the west final and bc will be second place in hosting the west semi on november on november 4th whitecaps you're calling that one too huh yeah busy Busy weekends, yes. Nice. You might as well just stay here at the Wall Center Friday night and go. I might as well just sleep in the broadcast booth of the <laughs> BC Place. So here's the stakes with the Whitecaps. And great article today from J.J. Adams in the province that lays it all out. As we've told you, the Caps are sixth place, but nowhere to go but up. They cannot fall from their current position. There are seven simultaneous kickoffs Saturday at 6 p.m. on decision day in the MLS Vancouver will have eyes on three matches and you need two of three things to happen here coupled with the Caps win that gets them into 
the top four and home pitch advantage in the first round of the MLS best of three playoffs. You need a Houston loss or draw in Portland, and your Cascadia rivals may do you a solid here because Portland needs to win to ensure the playoffs. In fact, the Timbers were unbeaten in seven before dropping that match with CF Montreal last week, two weeks ago, I guess. Got hammered, too. Right. Uh, Houston's also played well here, just one loss in their last 11, but they only have one win against the Timbers in the last nine, so Portland is owned. Houston of late. And Portland's at home. Yes. So, like, Houston's Houston's terrible. All three results the Caps need. They need the home team to win. So that's good news, too. Yep. The second one, Real Salt Lake. You need a loss or a draw in Colorado. Colorado, not a good team, but they rose up last week and got a draw. And RSL limping to the finish line here. Consecutive losses to non-playoff teams for Salt Lake City. And then the third match you'll have your eyes on. Seattle and St. Louis, you need a Seattle loss in St. Louis. Draw doesn't help you there. Need the Sounders to lose in St. Louis. And here's the thing. St. Louis has wrapped everything up, but they're going for the record number of wins from an expansion team. So as J.J. writes, it's still pedal to the metal in St. Louis. And you you don't want to back into the playoffs. You want to feel good about your – and remember, they dropped a game to the Whitecaps. You know, they haven't had they their A destroyed game. destroyed by the Whitecaps. Yeah, they haven't had their A game in a while because they've sort of been in cruise control, having wrapped up the West already. Seattle's a good road team, 6-5-5. Five, and five. They're above 500 on the road, which is a rare thing in MLS. And all they need is a tie to secure home pitch in the first round, Seattle. Yeah. A win could actually get them up to second place. And that's why LAFC is probably going to be playing for something. LAFC is not going to roll over for the Whitecaps. Sounders could fall as far as sixth. Incidentally, LAFC's lost three straight here in Vancouver, and the Caps have a win in LA this year. So it'll be fascinating on Saturday with the simultaneous kickoffs and the Vancouver match and three other matches that could have some bearing on where the Caps finish. But again, Vancouver has to get a win. There's a scenario by which a tie gets them up to fifth place, but that doesn't matter in terms of home pitch. That would simply be about playoff opponent. 21,000 seats already sold for the Whitecaps game. Um, It's going to be a great atmosphere. Fantastic. Good to see that back. Mm -hmm. Well, a match with stakes. In fact, big stakes here at BC Place all weekend. Looking forward to it. If you can't make it to BC Place... Why don't you check out Greta Bar on Cordova? Great spot to catch the games throughout the season, the playoffs, and into the off season. Did we do the Lions winner yet? Yeah, we did the Lions winner. We did the Lions winner? Okay, I yeah. missed that. Thanks for paying Thomas. I was here? Yes, okay. Thomas Good. and Langley. Yeah. Did you want to per- personally congratulate him? Yeah, no, I just wanted to make sure we got to it. That's okay. All. Yeah. We haven't done the menu. Brought to you by AG1. You know what? I was so, it was, we got started early today. I didn't have my AG1. Maybe that's why I didn't hear Thomas. Yeah, you seem a little out of sorts. A little, a little more focused. Did you go partying last night? A little night? more energy. No, I stayed at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watched Old School last night. <laughs> well, why were we referencing Old School? Or Dan the, Dan the Band? The Dan Band. The Dan Band. That's it. The wedding singer. For some reason, we got we, into that. We, we saw a social media uh, video. Using that meme. Using the uh, turnaround song. Oh, that's what it was yes. from the Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Yeah. And that inspired us to go Every look now at and then the I Dan fall band. apart. Yes. Yeah. And of course, when you 
Internet Explore the hole. Dan band, you yeah. know you're going to land on the old school clip. It's so good. At the wedding with Vince Vaughn. Fucking never now and then. Good stuff. <laughs> anyway, um, if I had had my age, you want I would have been more focused, clarity of thought, a little more energy probably too. That's what I get out of it. Maybe you'll get that too. Go to drinkag1.com slash Sakarison Price mm-hmm. and get a special offer. We'll have... Patrick Johnson on the show today. Topics include Connor Garland and the trade possibilities here. What to do with Tyler Myers. Uh, Patrick has written recently about how Tockett wants his team playing, particularly through the neutral zone. And Mark Friedman, who may make his Canucks debut, will get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including how often Canadian men pee sitting down. Mm-hmm. The news you need to know. Just so much easier. Rob Williams. I think we know where Grady stands. Grady is declared (laughs) on that topic. Uh, Rob Williams, we talk about the proposed changes to the draft. Also, uh, Friedman, people having fun with that. And Rick talking his temperament and his communication, which, frankly, uh, is good theater for the Vancouver Canucks and their fans. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Workshop Spirits, and very excited to announce the release of Yellow Dog's very first mix pack, Box of Tricks. Choose between the classic Play Dead IPA, the award-winning Rough West Coast IPA, and two brand new beers, Growl Extra Pale Ale and Tug of War New Zealand IPA, hitting the shelves on Tuesday, November 7th. And at the end of a busy workday, treat yourself to a Yellow Dog Neighborhood or workshop spirit. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here. Right now. We've talked about it many times. It's the era of goats. From clear goats like Tom Brady, Novak Djokovic, to guys with goat cases like LeBron James, Lewis Hamilton, and others. We've been treated to the best and brightest between the lines. Victor Wembenyama and Connor Bedard are a long way from goat status. But it's going to be fun watching them try. Because the NHL and the NBA have been handed lottery tickets this autumn. The two best prospects to enter the respective leagues since Connor McDavid in 2015 and King James way back in 2003. Bedard is already having an impact with his Blackhawks debut being the highest rated cable NHL regular season broadcast outside of Winter Classics. Wambanyama is sure to boost engagement as well, albeit from a less sexy market in San Antonio. In Bedard's case, we're talking about a puck handler, shooter, and setup artist with few peers at age 18. In Wambanyama's case, I'm not sure we've seen anything like him before. He's seven foot four with a floor game. Will Chamberlain with the quicks to beat defenders off the dribble. And the best part is, We don't have to wait around a couple years to watch them physically mature, learn their leagues, and realize all their talent. They're ready-made. 
nonfiction phenoms who can and will dominate as teenagers. Look, October might be the best sports mo- sports watching month when you consider that the big four North American sports leagues are all ongoing. And this era that we're in and heading into may well be the best sports watching era of all time, given the goats that have populated the big four and beyond. Add Wembenyama and Bedard to the list of must-see TV. And the best part is, they're just getting started. That's Welcome Ad for today. We invite your feedback, feedback channels as follows on email, live at scaresomeprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680 to the Great Clips text message inbox on Twitter, at Matt Sakaris, at Sakaris and Price. And the Welcome Ad, a presentation of Great Clips. 37 salons in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, all of them proudly Canadian-owned and operated. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Sakaris Price from Wall Center, presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And if you head down to the Richmond Auto Mall right now, you can kill two birds with one stone. Because you've got Applewood Nissan Richmond there, Applewood Mitsubishi Richmond right beside each other. Uh, and take yourself for a little bit of a test drive and see what all the cars can offer, including the plug-in hybrid edition of the Mitsubishi Outlander. I've had the pleasure of sitting in this car for the last couple of months and the fuel efficiency uh, par excellence and the luxury appointment quilted leather seats huge screen folks find out what it feels like to drive in the new outlander oh good at apple that that outlander really suits you it's quite you a think fit. So? yeah your hand and glove in that car. you see me pull in you're like yeah that i'm like that's a yeah. blake price car <laughs> Bulldog poll question. Will Tyler Myers be a healthy scratch this season? We will put it to our next guest. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day. Chargers off the short week. Kansas City off the long week. What am I missing here? I'm going to take Kansas City and the Mahomes and lay five points on your your Bodog line of the day. Patrick Johnson from the Province and Post Media joins us on Thursdays. Good morning, sir. How are you? Well, I just want to, you know, give a shout out to Blake's left turns. Oh, he's driving. Exquisite. Like we just griped about traffic. He is on it. <laughs> if that left turn arrow goes green, Blake's reaction mm-hmm. time is F1 worthy. Like, I wish we could pull people over and lecture them. Like, <laughs> do you think city engineers wanted just two cars to make it through that no. left turn light? Do you think that's what they had in mind on that intersection? <laughs> Three turn minimum. Come on. Just gonna let you two just go. You guys are cooking. Just... Good, I'm great. Well, it's... it's road trip. I'm not on the road trip. Yeah. But I'm well, still this is good. the road trip to be on. So you missed it. Well, usually you want this one. In, I mean, it is right. in January. The last couple of years. That's so better. That's exactly. Nice. Well, also, don't talk about that. All one right, that right. Way, so we'll leave that alone. Um, <laughs> we'll start with Connor Girl. I want to get to Myers here in a second. Yeah, lots there, lots, lots there, lots to deal with here. But I want to yeah. get to Connor Garland just because 
it would appear there's some urgency with the Vancouver Canucks. We, we talked about it on yesterday's show. When you see him do that breeze by and not eat the puck on the Zamula shot for the first Flyers goal, like you do have to wonder if you're upper management, like, okay, is this guy done bleeding for us? He wants out. It's pretty clear. And there seems to be a lot of smoke with the insiders and not to mention a fair number of teams here. Are we not surprised at how many teams are being connected to Connor Garland here? So what's your sense on where the Garland file goes and how quickly the Garland file goes? Yeah. I mean, I was talking to a couple of people that pay attention to this kind of stuff and certainly, yeah, the feeling is that this is where it's going to, it's going to go. I mean, there's no, it's not an accident that we're hearing all this noise. Um, and yeah, exactly that. I mean, you mentioned the flyby. You think a lot about the sort of rhetoric that Rick Tockett is saying about what he wants from his team. I wrote a thing about neutral zone play and just went back and looked at all the things that he had told us over the last couple of weeks and the talking points that I was, you know, I got from Lexi and Cole and Brock Besser and, you know, Tockett talked a lot about, you know, the sort of not, not going behind the net kind of thing on a four check you know if you're gonna don't lose that race like you got to come higher than that if it's not happening you got to get pressure they're trying to pressure they're trying to force turnovers but but don't end up chasing it and and he doesn't want defense or forwards backing up you know like he wants aggressive 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 and exactly that if you're throwing flybys that's not part of the book so so yeah it's just it's a it's unfortunate like this is a player that obviously has produced very well um, and certainly his first year was a very solid player for this team. Um, bit of a slip last year, and then you know we, we're here. We are year three, and and it I think is clearly coming to an end. We'll see how long it takes. I think the team would rather go quickly. You know, obviously there's all the analysis of the fact that Canucks seem to be more amenable to making a deal and making it happen. Um, which means eating salary, which yeah, is ideal, obviously. Well, that was my follow up. Um, you know, there's still three years to go on this deal, right? Like, it's not like this is That's eating it and seventeen it's eating it for this year and yeah. the year after, and seventeen and million after. in cash. Like, it's actually even more cash than it is cap space. But, um, right. But, but yeah, you say productive, and I can hear some Canucks fans going, "What do you mean? He hasn't been that productive." The underlying analytics have always been kind to Connor Garland. Do you? Th- well, his first season. His, let me just say, his first season, nobody scored at a higher rate. He's even straight right. number seven. So, I, does he that underpin some of the interest that we're seeing? And is it too big an ask for the Canucks to want to retain money on this player and get salary cap space out of it, which seems a pretty narrow channel to run? Well, and, no? re- and replace him too. You got to pay somebody in the in that cap spot, and what are they going to cost? If you go way back to 2021, when the Canucks ended up getting him in, of course, the OEL trade, uh, he was a guy that was clearly mm-hmm. on the move. The the Coyotes were cutting cutting bait from every possible liability. They didn't want to pay anybody. They were asking for a late first round pick, right? And there were a lot of teams that were interested. Now, obviously, in the end, the Canucks went over and above and cut them some cap favors and gave them a boatload of draft picks. And we're willing to take Oliver Ekman Larson. Um, but the value of, as a standalone player was that. Now, I don't know if he is really that anymore. He's 27. 
Um, he's still a very useful player, but he is not the young, sprightly 23-year-old, 24-year-old he was when they traded for him. So it makes sense. He's a player that helps your team. Certainly, you can get him down to a $3 million player, you know, which is essentially if they're going to retain 1.9, which I don't think is going to happen. But, you know, if you get him down to a three and a half, four million dollar player, even like that's yeah. that's a guy you play and you can play in your second line. That's a guy that can play in your third line and bump up. Like that's sort of an insurance scorer. Um, but to Blake's there's there's a lot yeah, in his favor. But to Blake's but yeah. point. So I think you either trade him retaining money and really get nothing back, or maybe get a draft pick back or a prospect back, and then you have the cap space. But to Blake's point, like, do you not want someone serviceable back? Do you, do you, yeah. do you not yeah. feel like, like you need to replace? Well, not necessarily in his position, but I think you right. want you want to improve your team. Some sort of asset yeah. that improves the team. Yeah. And cap space seems yeah. like a narrow channel. I, I wonder whether it could be one or the other here when it's finally done. It's it's a hockey version of the, you know, good, quick, cheap pick two. Right, like you're going to get someone good, but he's you know he could be quick, but he's not going you know he's not going to mm-hmm. be cheap. He could be good and cheap, but he's not going to be quick. You know, like there there is a there is an element here that all the stuff you're hearing, I mean, that's all well and good, but exactly if you want to, th- this is a player that at least in theory was a viable part of your lineup. You know, you you can't just dump him. Be- I mean, okay, you've got Anthony Bobillier in the lineup already, but. You know, I think Andy Mobilier is fine as a player, but I don't. I also don't think he's Connor Garland. I mean, obviously not saying Connor Garland is a superstar, but um, I think Gar- Garland gives you more than Bobilier does. So, yeah, getting rid of Garland probably is going to be a step down. I just don't mm-hmm. see how you get something back in here okay, unless so someone's moving you one of their own problems. And, or or they do what they've done before here, guys, forward. and they pay somebody to take away their problems. What if they just? Add add a bunch of yep. sugar on top here and get the full five mil in space. Would we? I mean, would we be surprised if they peeled off a second round pick to make this happen? I was thinking that yesterday, Blake, on my drive home. Are, are you telling me another second round pick is going out the door here just to alleviate the cap situation and alleviate another disgruntled? Uh, I mean, we've seen how the Canucks value picks. The fact that they're trading late round picks. I mean, they first of all they don't have a second for the coming year, no draft, right? But you look at the way they've been willing to move on from later round picks. I mean, that's to me the Canucks starting to recognize. Um, if you look at some of the historical trends, there's just not a lot of value in those late rounds anymore. The guys that used to land in the sixth, seventh round, you know, you go back the famous ones being like Henrik Zetterberg. Um, you, Martin Erat, you go back 20 some years, you could find those guys, but those guys are going in the second round now, right? And that's why second round picks still have huge value. Um, and I think the Canucks would be very, very, very silly to get rid of another second round pick. I mean, the, the fact that they, they picked less than half the time or that over the last decade they've used less than half their second round picks tells you everything about this <laughs> why this prospects pool has mostly wow. been not very good yeah. for a very long time. There's just no that that there's a there's a quality of player you find in the second round. They're not going to be your superstar, but they're going to be a very good mid tier player. They're going to be though that's a top four defenseman. That's a second or third line winger. Like those are guys that help you win on value deals. And 
yeah, moving on from a guy like Garland and doing it because you've traded your 2025 second round pick is just the just report is the, conversely yeah. the report is that they retain they retain up to a million and a half. That's the number sort of that's been floated around is that they'll eat up to a million. Mm-hmm. It's just way too much, PJ. Like they, you, by the time you got the OEL money coming on, remember as you mentioned, three years left on this deal. Um, all of a sudden year two and three of those deals, uh, you're taking on a lot of dead money here with the OEL money coming back on, on the account. Yeah, I know exactly. And, and, you know, <laughs> the cap goes up four million or whatever for it. it is like, yeah. there's your growth right there. I mean, it's just, it's just the stunning never ending story of this team and bad decisions coming back to home to roost and, um, bad original decisions whatever you think of the subsequent decisions but just never giving themselves a chance despite all the talk of wanting to compete wanting to win um wanting to you know this year's going to be different it's just a mountain of stuff and it's just really it's something to it's just something to behold that if you're going to deliver you know to to if you're going to deliver, you got to have a plan. You can't have the no plan plan. You can't hope, oh, maybe this year will work out. Like, this is a cap league. Um, you know, the Canucks weren't the only team to start the season down a skater, and there was some reason for why they were in that position. That was not their fault. The cap has been flat. But these are constraints that have been around, and, and if you're going to keep lashing yourself to the deck and being unable to steer the ship, like... Yeah. What are we even doing here? I look forward um, to the documentary yeah, I, on the I, scene. Let me tell you a story about, behold, the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> and the decisions that led them to this point. Yeah. Low, it was low, low end. Mm-hmm. You know, like just, it's just one thing after another. You're right. Like the mm-hmm. OEL deal, like two, you know, and then the year after that, like, don't forget, it's almost $5 million. 25, 26 for two years. Well, it's like the cap is going up. If you get rid of Tyler Myers at the year end, um, we had wondered how long it would take to get this contract to its finish line. We can now see the finish line. Right. And in fact, at the south set of this year, PJ, I think everybody was quite optimistic. Hey, he's serviceable. Get to the trade deadline, liquidate, get assets back. It was also simple on paper. It seems less simple now, given what we've seen over these first few games from Tyler Myers. It's tough to watch. You know, he's a, he, you know, Obviously, cave in here like so many other Jim Benning deals with a lot way more fan, fanfare than probably was necessary. Um, he was okay his first couple of years, and as go things go, as you go into your thirties, mm-hmm. things get harder. And from a media standpoint, he's always been great to deal with. He's always got thoughts and insights that you know things that he's trying to help and help you understand what he's doing and what he sees on the team or what he thinks how things should be. But yeah, it's it's. I, w- I was saying at the end of preseason when the Canucks were actually you know disrupting cross ice passes on the penalty kill, and I think it was you know, obviously the jury's still out on the penalty kill, but it's sort of there's been moments of promise. Um, but thinking back to a couple seasons ago, him and Tucker Pullman trying to kill a penalty and being completely unable to block cross ice passes, and you're just like, how are you guys on? You guys are so big. How is this? How is this a thing? And it's just not a thing he a skill he has. <laughs> and now, you know, he's slowed down. And 
it's just there's stuff like that happens around him. The puck gets in his, you know, the puck gets in his feet, and yeah, I, everyone's seen it. It's tough to watch, and um, I think the reality probably is they're just going to have to grit and bear it and get through the season. Whether he gets scratched or not, I mean, I think that depends on the alternatives. There's not a whole exactly. lot of alternatives on the right side right now. We, exactly. We're going to see Mark Friedman, see what he looks like, so, supposedly, but, you know, similar to Noel Gilson, but maybe a little better. Noel Gilson, of course, has been not very good to start the season. Um, I, I know. Like, I, I, coming into the year, I always thought they were going to have to ride Hughes and Hronek and whoever plays with them a lot um, and just survive your third pair, and they're already at so, that point. Except he's on the second pair. Well, yeah. well, that's it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, as a third pair, you can get by with them. It's been talking in foot, and they're, I'll say stubbornness, not refusal, because we saw a little cameo there with Cole with you. But one of those lefties, Susie or Cole, playing the right side in the top four yeah. maybe solves your problem here. No? Yeah. Well, I, and I think, I mean, uh, the, the, the Sir Cole McWard factor is also in there too, right? Like, I think they, they if they'd had their choices, I think they probably would have started the season with him in the lineup. But you're right, yeah, there there are options in front of them. They could see Susie and and and, um, and Cole as a pair. They're not huge fans of having two lefties. I kind I get it. But at the same time, if you're not, that that's also about who should be Quinn Hughes' partner, right? If you're looking at more of a shutdown smart, you know, playing hard, hard to play against kind of pair. In theory, those two work really well together. I mean, Ian Cole, I'm, I've just been so consistently impressed with his reads and his ability to anticipate. Um, you know, I think as his role grows, as the season progresses, I do think that's something to watch. I think it, it should be effective. It should be a, a, he should be a player that really does help turn the tide for this team. Um, and yeah, I mean, Susie, we see, we've seen once. He really has been a third pair defenseman. The Canucks think he, you know, he can be a second pair defenseman. We'll see. Well, that's he's got a particular I, skill set, and I just don't mm-hmm. think that matches quite with what they want. Uh, what did you make of the uh, Friedman Rathbone trade? Well, you know, Jack Rathbone, who I always had a lot of time for, another one of those guys that you're, who's always ready and happy to talk. Good guy. Um, certainly, a lot of skills. There, there was a game, and I think I've mentioned this before, there was a moment in a game late last season when he was up on that late season cameo where um, he found himself in the left-hand corner, you know, behind the Canucks, behind the Canucks net. And instead of, there, there was an ag- aggressive play in front of him, which would involve skating and moving his feet. And instead of moving it with his feet, the moment passed and he missed the moment and then essentially had no play. And, moved it back around behind the net to Cal Burroughs, who had absolutely no play and who was left to rim it around the boards. And I remember thinking, you know, I think that's the play right there. That is why he has struggled to survive the NHL. And then that's, that's how it is, right? Like the, some of these guys are fantastic AHL players. He quite clearly is a very good AHL player. And, and that ability to read the game and, and, and move your feet at, move your head your brain and your feet at the same time at the speed that you need um we'll see i mean uh, pittsburgh obviously is going to be a new opportunity we'll say you can go friedman fills a need i think i I do feel like they probably watched Juleson struggle the first three games of the year or and when went you know we got a or two games of the year i guess it was when they made the trade we've got a we've got to keep looking to see if we can find a right shot guy that fits in our roster um 
we'll see. I mean, he's been a kind of guy that's bounced up and down between the AHL and the NHL for Pittsburgh, but proof will be in the pudding. I mean, it was, let's try yeah. something different. Let's change it up. And, and um, it's wishful though. It's, it's, there's a lot of wishing in, in this. I mean, this yeah, is not absolutely. a certified yeah. NHL there's player. No, there's nobody yeah. screaming, oh my God, what a win for the Vancouver Canucks. No. You know, it's like, here's a yeah. guy that we don't, <laughs> we definitely don't need. And, and you move him on for a guy that Pittsburgh's kind of like, yeah, sure. We, we don't really need this guy. So, it yeah. sort of feels like that. Yes. Yeah. All right. Great fucking job this week, PJ. All right. <laughs> wow. We got we got admonished for our cursing last week, so we're gonna throw one gratuitous one in there and we'll be uh Matt, clean you living. know, you know, Matt, you swear well. So he thinks anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Don't encourage I him. come by it honestly. I'll take notes. Patrick. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> take care, guys. Price from Wall Center presentation Applewood Auto Group hashtags is the best and worst of Twitter.com. Brought to you by Jason Hominick of Jason.Mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage but still need equity out of your house, Jason has the solution. You keep that great rate, you access the equity without touching your existing mor- mortgage. Your mortgage is up in the next six months. Now is the time to reach out. Find him at Jason.Mortgage. At Darren Dreger, remember him? Mm. The Ottawa Senators plan on signing Craig Anderson to a one-day contract so he can retire or send. Mm-hmm. Tuesday versus Buffalo appears to be the target. Good man and a great gesture mm-hmm. by the Sens. Uh, he went on to tweet again that it's unclear uh, exactly what's going to happen here. He is working part-time for the Sabres right now. Um, mm-hmm. But that's about it. He had uh, been open to playing this year, I believe, but uh, didn't get the interest. He's 42 years of age, so... Um, it was uh, drama filled. Uh, mm-hmm. His stay as a senator, his entire career has been pretty impressive, though to to make it this yeah. far. Um, he's he's not ever going to go down as one of the best ever, but he no. was pretty uh he, he was pretty good for a long time. The longevity, the availability, yeah, uh, yeah. ability. Uh, also, I believe um, the one day contract is part and parcel of. His wife Nicole's battle with cancer while he was a senator, and the and the um, support they received from that franchise and that and that community at Jim Byers Travel, he's Canada's travel guy. Sports travel is a growing trend. A new study finds. Listen to some of these figures. Canadians report spending on average. $4,294 per year on sports trips. Top sports destination in the world for Canadians? Toronto. The report is released by Expedia, Hotels.com, and Verbo. And they find that almost half of Canadians, Canadian sports fans, are likely to travel and see a game on the road. 42%. They found that the average sports fan takes three separate sports trips per year, and that eighty percent are looking to take either that, either three or more. Hockey fans say they spend twelve hundred and ninety-one dollars per trip. Melanie Fish, head of PR for Expedia, says the amount of sports fans are willing to spend may seem surprising to non-sports fans. Yeah, it seems surprising to this sports reporter. Until you realize it's not just about the match. 
a game on the schedule gives some fans the reason they need to actually book and take their vacation, turning their someday into a reality. Top destinations after Toronto, New York, Montreal, Vegas, Vancouver. Vancouver, interesting. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder if that is, as we know, Riders and Bombers fans now are quite present at BC Place when Saskatchewan or Winnipeg plays there. In the summer, usually, yeah. right? Yeah. You get a lot of folks coming from the Prairie Provinces, Alberta. Staying right to, here at the Wall Center. To BC, right? Yeah. Staying right here at the Wall Center. LA, Boston, Miami, Chicago, and Seattle round out the top 10 places of where Canadians travel when they travel for sports. It's funny. Like I, I, I know that it exists, and periodically I'll meet people that tell me, oh, we're, me and my son are going to do all this. But my actual... Immediate circle of friends, and like nobody has done it. Like nobody has done it. Well, my um, my circle travels a little bit for sports, but three per year. Yeah, where do you find the time for three per year? Again, they're saying that's what Canadians average. That's what they say. The sports Canadian fans who identify as sports right, fans, average. right, right. Yeah, and um, for a moment there, I thought. You know, oh, well, Seattle and Buffalo would be top destinations because of the football games. As you know, Seattle draws a lot of, the Seahawks draw a lot of British Columbians, and of course, the Bills draw a lot of folks from Southern Ontario. But those are day trips for the most part. Yes. That, that, that's not an overnight. That's not a hotel. That's probably not even a restaurant, maybe a restaurant, depending on whether you're going to eat at the game or not. Toronto, Toronto is number one because they say people from across Canada come in. Well, it's the one place in Canada where you can see NBA basketball. It's the one place in Canada where you can see Major League Baseball. So that puts Toronto over the edge, over the other destinations. At the Sick Podcast, this is Tony Marinero, who's sort of like us in the Montreal space. Uh, talking, Although with, he is inimitable. Nobody yes, is quite true. like Tony Marinero. <laughs> The difference between uh, like our show and Tony Marinero's show is a perfect example of the difference between East and West, between Montreal and Vancouver. Yeah, probably fair. Uh, Talking with Craig Button, Burroughs needs to make the power play better. It's his job. Uh, Just do a quick search of Burroughs and PP on Twitter and see how people are talking about the great Canuck, the Dragon Slayer. Yeah, about uh, uh-huh. his utilization of the Habs power play. He's under Uh-oh. fire right now in Montreal, and he's lost Kirby Doc. Yes, for the season probably. At Vincenzo Landino, it's happening. The Netflix Cup Drive to Survive meets Full Swing. Netflix's first live sports event. We'll be streaming from the Win Las Vegas only on Netflix November 14th ahead of the F1 Las Vegas Grand Prix. So they're getting some of the stars from the PGA Full Swing Series and bringing them together with some of the drivers from the Drive to Survive Series. And doing what? Uh, they're playing golf, I believe. Okay. I think it's not pulling me in. Yeah, I, I, I think it's less about the competition and more about trying to pump the personalities, not to mention promote the race. And yet, here's the I thing: guess. like this Las Las Vegas Grand Prix was supposed to be the triumphant jewel atop the crown of F1, and yet, anecdotally, interest is starting to wane. Max Verstappen is so dominant. There is yes. no suspense. There yeah. is no drama in any of these races. 
Nobody has stepped up to declare themselves a challenger to Verstappen or to Red Bull, who are far and away the best team. This is two years after they brought in new regulations intended to make the sport more competitively balanced. And there's a lot of griping in Las Vegas about this race. The cost of tickets, what it's going to do closing down the strip. Uh, I believe they've had to do some like landscaping and infrastructure changes just to get this race going. It is for the uber wealthy. Like Joe and Joanne Public cannot afford this thing, you know, even with a loan. And... One wonders whether the sport has hit its crescendo in North America and is not going to be able to maintain. Drive to Survive now, which is, what, five seasons deep. Max Verstappen still won't participate, to the best of our knowledge. You're really? Run, you're running out of characters. He doesn't because participate you only in have show? Quit. He has not participated. He sat down for an interview about Mick Schumacher, Michael's kid, when Michael's, when Mick was racing last year. And so I was like, oh, look, there's Max Verstappen on Drive to Survive. Like, you know, maybe a forthcoming episode is coming up on Max. Nope. Apparently he just agreed to the interview to talk nicely about his buddy. And that was that. So, wow. I mean, I don't know what they have planned for next year, but the series is starting to run out of characters and teams to feature in yeah. their episodes. Yeah. There's only so much drama in the current form, and there's got to introduce new people, but hmm. Mm-hmm. It certainly feels just buzz-wise, like For there's sure. less For F1 sure. buzz. There, uh, two years ago, I couldn't go anywhere no. without uh, an F1 conversation. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's a fait accompli each and every race. Yeah. Max wins. Been just a couple exceptions this year. I'm out. Lastly from me, at Canadian polling. Polling? Um, like polling. A, like election polling? Yeah. Okay. Well, not, not quite elections. I thought, I thought it might be a cross-country scheme Bloggers oh, saying. okay. No, no. <laughs> Poland. Uh, not quite election either. Among men, how often do you sit down to only urinate? Ooh. How many said every time? How many said never? What percentage? Uh, every time is 11%. 16. Never is 21%. Right on the number, Blake. Wow. You're kidding me. Yeah. I'm good at guessing. Most times, 19%. Yeah. So between most and every time, you're nearly one, you're more than one in three Canadian yeah. men. Sometimes, 23%. Mm-hmm. Rarely, 19%. When we craft our Bodog poll question, we're always looking for sort of even balance yeah. Yeah. voting on both sides of the ledger or however many sides of the ledger. Like between 16 and 23%. Every response was in that range. Clearly, we do not we do not have consensus amongst Canadian men. Just in the morning, and that's hashtags for today. <laughs> I'm tired. Don't want to balance. Joined now by the national sports editor of the Daily Hive and its offside sports vertical, Rob the Hockey Guy, Rob Williams here. With Sakaris and Price. How are we doing, Rob? Doing great, guys. How are you? Yeah, very well. We were just remarking to each other before we hit the record button. And we've known this since he took over. Boy, talk at the communicator, huh? He's He's got a way of messaging to his team, messaging to the fans and media at large. And I find myself 
sitting here um, three games into this season, however many games into the Rick Tockett tenure, going, he's got an interesting way of sort of setting the news agenda because he speaks with purpose. He speaks with clarity. He's not afraid to use words that might sting a little that other coaches shy away from. Uh, A word or two and your observations about the communication skills of this Canucks head coach. Yeah, I mean he's so I mean he's so great for the media, like and just I think for fans as well. Like he's he's always got something to say. There's not a lot of not a ton of spin on on, on things. I like even the other day, like my pet, you know, one of my pet peeves that when coaches, you know, only in hockey do we say upper body and lower body injury and these this such nonsense that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that that uh, that is now like common speak among coaches, and even when he said like lower body about one of the players the other day, he was like, ah, I hate seeing that kind of stuff. Like, I, I so I that kind of endeared him to me even further. But you know, like, what a tough act to follow with Bruce Boudreaux. I don't know that anybody, uh, you know, can match. You know, there's no there's no other Bruce Boudreaux, right? There's only one Bruce Boudreaux, um, but. You know, a pretty good follow-up from Talkit in a completely different way, and I think, uh, you know, I think that endears himself to fans. I think he's, I think fans like Rick Talkit, and they like hearing from Rick Talkit, and and the media certainly do as well. Yeah, and a great point about following Boudreaux. And the other thing is, is, and this is one of the reasons I've gravitated to coaches more in my media career is, you know, somewhere in there, there's an educator, and they teach you things about the games, yeah. and they teach you things about personalities and they teach you things about personalities coming together and teamwork and that stuff. And I think Tockett's done an amazing job uh, there as well. I, I mean, if you listen to his media sessions on a day-to-day basis, you get smarter about hockey. It's just, just that it's just that. Simple. I do wonder how this season progresses well, though, guys and how the tone uh, might have to change. If, if, yep. if losing comes back to this Canucks organization, I don't mean to be a downer at two and one on the season, but um, I mean, he's going to have to find uh, a happy space in the middle. I think, Rob, isn't he? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it, <laughs> winning solves a lot of problems, right? Uh, you know, w- when you when you lose, you can be the bad cop, you can be the good cop, and eventually you run out of cops, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, with talk, I, I, it's funny because I was I was thinking back to like during training camp, how you know, listening to him and. And all the talk over the summer about the structure and the habits, and you start thinking, okay, geez, if they start playing talk, it's system and this and that. And then I, I found myself kind of like, you know, you start getting like really like optimistic and you go, okay, they can do this and the players will do the structure and you listen to them and like, what a great communicator and they'll probably buy into what he's saying. And then, and then I kind of stopped myself and I was like, I was like, they've got, they've only got like, maybe three top four defensemen here. Okay. And then you start looking at things logically and start going, oh, okay. Yeah. They might be in a bit of trouble. Uh, I still think it remains to be seen. Like, what is this Canucks team right now? Like, like, you know, there's so much hope after that first game, you know, are they, you know, are they who we thought they were or are they, you know, this, this new team under Rick Tockett that can play with more structure and habits and all the, the other things, um, you know, I think it's going to be very telling in these first 10 to 15 games, uh, you know, what what kind of Canucks team we have here. Rob, the NHL draft. And uh, you covered one. We all covered the one here in Vancouver in 2019. 
And as much as I find it um, a little repetitive to thank the host city for the 17th time and congratulate the Stanley Cup champion for the 19th time. And wait for the entire administration to walk up on the stage. And oh, my God. I do delight in the shout out to the watch party at Applebee's. Chili's. Chili's. Is it Chili's? Chili's is Chili's. Oh, okay. Um, But it does distinguish the National Hockey League from other drafts where the teams announce the selection, not a commissioner where you have this big welcoming party on stage for the photo op and of course you know we've uh we've seen them jazz that up a little more pizzazz bring players on you know current players to make picks and things like that and um you know not to mention some gaffes at the microphone remember the year george mcphee forgot who they were taking bobby clark once upon a time happened, if i'm not mistaken. last year somebody forgot last yeah, year exactly too. So uh, it sounds like the commissioner is pushing hard for a more conventional draft that falls in line with what we see in the NFL and the NBA. Um, What's your take on all of this? Where are you in terms of the live television product, which is one of the concerns here, Mm -hmm. um, but also the experience for the kids who get drafted? Yeah, I'm. I I mean, I guess I'm not that big a fan of the other drafts, like. I, like I'm not. I know people get really into the NFL draft, the NBA draft, and I don't know that I'm like that wrapped up in those drafts, anyways. And I don't know that like you're going to have these 18 year old hockey players that don't usually have a ton to say. Like what you're going to? I'm just trying to imagine the spectacle the NHL is going to try to create. Uh, to match the NBA and, and the NFL, and I just don't see it. Like, I I don't know. Like, if you go to that format, like, are you going to dramatically improve the the television experience? I don't see it. Like, I I feel like the- well, it's more concise. I think that's the thing. It just gets more concise. You fit it into the two hour window for sure. Um, no, I think it's longer than two hours, but. It's yeah. three hours, yeah. You, you yeah, definitely can well, get it. And, of yeah. course, part and parcel is taking the teams off the draft floor and letting them do the draft from their own HQ, which I didn't mes- uh, mention in the preamble. But, again, see Belichick's maple living room. In, that one year, yeah. oh, the little dog. Yeah. Um, to me, that distinguishes the NHL draft because you see GMs go and wander over. Oh, look, Doug Wilson's talking to so We used to play that game all the time. At the draft, you can see some of the conversations, some of the machinations as we talk about trading. But maybe there's a happy medium here, guys, where the, everybody's still there. The war room is still live and, and open to see, except it's still just the commissioner on stage that just mm. gets it gets the message and, and makes all the drafts. How would we be able to mark the changes in Daryl Cates's son's life year to year yeah if he's not allowed on <laughs> what matching stage. what matching suits are the <laughs> yeah, coyotes wearing exactly. this year yeah did kate's kid get a haircut this year or is he still rocking the big flow well, and, that, and that's the biggest thing rob as we well know uh owners uh, and uh the one in this city is no different i, I think like the shine of being on that stage and that might be a tough pill for them they, to swallow they get to be on the stage on national television and they don't have to say anything yeah that's the best part and they're winners that day because they've gotten a great only prospect. good, news. Only good we news. couldn't believe he was available when we selected <laughs> guys i i i'm i kind of feel like this with the same I, I feel the same way about like hockey pools like when everyone started going to like the yahoo drafts and everyone just does it from you know right from their home and just does it online and i'm like i'm like 
it, it, I'm like, where's the banter? Like, all I want to do is with my buddies is like make fun of their picks and 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 yell and have a drink with with the guys. Get and, smashed. And yeah. now it's like, is the Yahoo draft a lot a lot more efficient? Like, can you get it done in like an hour and a half where it used to drag on for three hours? Absolutely, but uh, I I think it'll I think it'll lose something. I don't think that I I don't think that it's going to become like this great television product all of a sudden if everyone's remote and i think a lot of the times like the stars of the nhl draft in a lot of ways you know maybe where the players in in the nfl and nba draft because because of college sports is so much more high profile we know a lot more about the players and they tend to be a little bit older they become the stars of those drafts i think for the nhl it's like the the gms are like the stars of the draft um in hockey and and seeing and kind of having this it's a, it's almost like a hockey convention too i think yeah. when when you have the draft yes. and i think that that's kind of you know I, I i think it would be a mistake to to veer off from from what they're currently doing but there definitely are ways to probably jazz it up and and i don't maybe they need like a band and the band can like play you off like the oscars or something but but you're so right the both both the nba and the nfl are so lucky in that um the feeder leagues, if you will, the NCAA ranks are a well watched. People know the publicly players. scouted uh, entities, you know, know um, versus Slovenian fourth division hockey, where the odd guy sneaks up and grabs a a twenty fifth overall drafting. Uh, yeah, we don't have any tape on this guy, uh, mm-hmm. but, but trust us, he's wow. pretty good. It doesn't, it doesn't stop fans from being uh, YouTube experts. Uh, no, like I know, but draft. it's not the same. It's not the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. The baseball draft grainy footage from like a suburban Houston high school league. You know, this kid was throwing 95 against some recreational high school players in suburban Houston. Here's the video. The Aruban men's league. Yeah. And, uh, and you're quite right, Rob. Um, Something has been lost from the fantasy draft experience when people are alone in their homes at their terminal with the Yahoo page up, as opposed to gathered in a place where they are drinking and making fun. Yeah of everyone else in the league. That is your right as a fantasy GM. <laughs> um, uh, lastly here. Oh, everybody had the same joke on the Friedman thing. Explain. Yeah. RIP to Elliot Friedman's mentions after uh, Friedman gets traded to the Canucks. Uh, yeah. We wrote a, I wrote a story about this. Um, I, I don't know how long it's going to go on for, but like when they called up Friedman, like every, like everyone's response is just like tagging Elliot Friedman. I mean, I'm sure his. Uh, I'm sure enough people tag him on a daily basis that he probably isn't uh, watching each one come in, anyways. But uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of funny that that just kind of everyone thinks they had the same like funny joke about Elliot Friedman and Friedman playing for the Canucks. Uh, not, not many yeah. Friedman floating around hockey, so <laughs> when when it happens, you got to take advantage. I'm sorry, Rob, you wrote on that? Of course. Oh. Okay. <laughs> That's a Daily Hive story written all over. Uh, it. Uh, uh, hey. <laughs> I'm sure Martin Ego had a thing to I say was about gonna that. Say, I was going to say. <laughs> uh, great stuff, Rob. Thanks for this. Catch up next Thursday. <laughs> Anytime. Thanks, guys. Roberts. <laughs> so here's some price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Text us, 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's gonna be great. 
Results from yesterday's Bodog poll question. We asked you, was a 2-0 start fool's gold? Yes or no? What did the people say, Blake? People said yes. Mm-hmm. Percentage? 60. 56. Although many in the comments, and quite right, can't judge off one game or even three games. No. Give it a little bit more time, Darren. You can't grade them on their two wins or the one loss. Let's see where they are at the 10-game mark. Plenty of those. And then 604 Adam said, it's the Canucks. Everything is fool's gold. Yeah, there's been 50 years of empirical evidence to, <laughs> to tell you that. Uh, and uh, incidentally, uh, Blake and I have been invited, and thank you to our buddy Hart Levine of Puckpedia, to be the puzzle masters for an upcoming Puck Doku. And there will be a theme to our Puck Doku, Misery which is, is inspired by the <laughs> Vancouver Canucks in 53 years. No cups. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program. Grady, I have two here. Uh, I damn near forgot the prospect of the week with Chris Faber. How dare I? And then Colin in planning wants to take issue with us, as he often does. Mm-hmm. We were having a discussion yesterday. The University of Washington marching band came and played a BC Lions halftime a couple of weeks back. They have been a staple now uh, with the Lions for many years. And we were discussing that if you want to look for, like, the biggest cultural difference between Canadians and Americans, the marching band. They do it. They love it. Every high school has one. We're just not really a marching band people. And then you started talking about how we're more pipers. And I said, well, I mean, kind of, not at the same scale. Colin, pipers are an important part of Canada. The Royal Canadian Legion, police bands, others make pipers key parts of their ceremonies and events. To say we are not pipers is just wrong. Yeah, Matt. But here's what I would say. The marching band is to the United States like pipers are to Scotland. We're not Scotland-level pipers. They're oh. ubiquitous in Scotland. They're you, the marching band, everywhere you go in this, we're not, we're not that deep. We're not that pronounced with pipers. I'm not saying that's not a part of cultural life in Canada. It surely is. Do you have to be league leaders to be mentioned? Well... Seems it's strict rules. Clearly something you've adopted from another culture. Oh, seems pretty strict. No, Genesis. I'm quite convinced the Americans, they invented the marching band, or at least the marching band as we know it now, with the uniforms and the formations and the, as you say, band leader on a wobbly ladder. <laughs> Scared me. Poor guy. Anything else, Grady? Nope. Moving on to Blake's Bodog line of the day. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Who you like, what you got? Uh, going to the Whitecaps finale versus LAFC anytime goal scorer. And I'm I'm going to go back to Junior Hoylet, not knowing if he's in the starting lineup or not. Remember, he was training all with the Canadian men's national team, did score versus Japan, the only guy to score. I think he might be finally rounding into... Full game fitness, and you're getting plus 310 on Hoyland. And the other thing, the Caps need to win. 
a tie really doesn't do them any good because it cannot elevate them to yeah. home pitch. We talked to Vanny early in the week. This is a match where you can really go for it. Yeah. So I imagine there will be some goals with the Caps in LAFC. Pushing forward, they're going to be throwing everything. Saturday, decision day, folks, a 6 p.m. start for that one. We have become accustomed to those 7.30 starts for the Whitecaps. This one, because it's decision day, they want everybody kicking off at the same time is 6 p.m. Saturday at BC Place on your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everyone. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.